there is no focus on this notion that the conductor is a leader and that there are actual leadership skills that you can learn the way executives learn, you know, executive leadership. That's a real thing. And that doesn't exist for conductors at all. Zero. Even though it's exactly the same thing. Welcome to Artist as Leader, where we explore the intersection of creativity and leadership. I'm Pierre Carlo Talenti, the producer and editor of this podcast. And I'm Rob Kramer, the founder and CEO of Kramer Leadership. So, Pierre Carlo, tell us about this episode's guest. This episode's guest is conductor Tito Munoz, who was interviewed by Corey Madden. Tito Munoz is in his sixth year leading the Phoenix Symphony as its music director. Uh, and he has a distinguished international resume. Before that, he served as music director of Opéra Nationale de Lorraine and the Orchestre Symphonique et Lyrique de Nancy in France. I get to show Very off my French. You see that? Well done. Well done. <laughs> Points for you. <laughs> Thank you. I, I probably, I should have, I paid him to put that on his bio now. Uh, he has appeared with many of the most prominent orchestras in North America and is scheduled for forthcoming engagements with symphonies from Denmark to Sydney. Tito is an ardent proponent of new music and has conducted the premieres of new works from renowned contemporary composers, including Gerald Berry and Michael Hirsch. Tito started the conversation discussing how his musical training has informed how he leads. Because coming up with a, with a vision for a musical work, I think, is something that's just inherently part of being a musician and then relaying relaying that to an audience and communicating that to an audience. I think that inherently is 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 already part of leadership because you already have to bring people into you and you have to bring people on a journey. Um, so just that in itself, that creative process and that process of figuring out how you're going to communicate to an audience, I think already begins that that journey for oneself of, of, of leadership. Um, it's interesting because when you are working in, in ensembles and in groups, there is sometimes hierarchy also. And so you have to learn what that is and how to navigate that. Uh, sometimes you are the, the one that people look to, sometimes you're not. Um, and even within an orchestra, for example, you know, you, you, you learn what, what that hierarchy is. You learn that, you know, if you're in a, in a section of strings, and you're playing, you learn that that you know that that front chair is the person that you first go to for some kind of leadership, uh, whether it's changing a bowing or or are we using this part of the bow or whatever the case may be. And you know you learn that that's you know you don't go to conduct it directly, you go to the section leader. And when you're in that chair as a section leader in in a school situation or a youth orchestra situation, usually the conductor is mentoring those people as to what that leadership needs to be. Um, so I think that just in 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 that kind of logistical sense, um, as a as a young musician, you already do get that kind of uh, that kind of training. Um, I think what's not usually spoken about in in the education, what's lacking is the first kind that I told you about, which is that that learning how to communicate to an audience and bring people in. I think in classical music, especially, we 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 lack a little bit of that more so than in maybe other kinds of uh, music, because I think in other kinds of music, uh, performing publicly is is a, is a little bit more um, a natural thing that happens as you as you're learning, and it doesn't necessarily with classical music. You spend a lot of time alone in a practice room. You spend a lot of time, you know, doing juries and 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 playing auditions rather than actually performing in front of people as a soloist. And so, uh, well, I should, I should say, you know, being a conductor is, is always leadership. And when you're in the beginning stages of conducting, 
what's really interesting is that you are the beginner in the room, even though mm-hmm. you're the one that's, that's on the podium. Mm-hmm. And so j- just that in itself, that this catch 22, which is that the musicians want a leader who's experienced yet you need experience in order to learn how to conduct. And so um, you, you, you are constantly navigating that. How do I deal with my, uh, you know, lack of experience when all these people in front of me are extremely experienced at what they do. Um, so that in itself teaches you a lot of lessons. And so I know when I was starting out as a, as a conductor, uh, I ate a lot of crow as most young conductors do all the time, literally all the time. Every moment that you're up there, you're given something that's wrong. You're doing something that's wrong. You're, you're misstepping, you're giving a wrong beat. And then you have to face the consequences of that. Hopefully it's a positive environment where, where people are very uh, uh, nurturing and your teacher is nurturing and all of that and, and allows you to make mistakes. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes you might actually get a job or get a, a professional engagement when you're not ready for it. And so you get up in front of a group and then you have to navigate that. So I think um, as, a, as a young conductor, you, I, I've definitely had moments, uh, but I mean, they're, they're countless. I mean, every, every moment that you're up there, um, where you you would do have to think very very quickly as to how to create an environment that allows for your leadership not to suffer. Um, at the same time, you're learning and you're allowing the musicians to play well. On top of that, I think before that, though, for me as a as a as a violinist, um, there were certainly many many moments where I'd be sitting as a as a concertmaster for example of my school orchestra whether it is in college or high school and and learning how to how to navigate a personality of a you know the teacher the conductor in front of me um when for example if the if the conductor in front of me is not a string player but they fancy themselves an expert at bowings even though they might not be um, and then having to navigate that, um, there have been times when I've misspoke and misstep and, and challenged a teacher or a conductor because I really thought I was right. And I might have been right, but um, you, you sort of learn diplomacy very quickly and how to uh, keep a positive attitude so things don't um, uh, digress into something that you really don't want it to. So, um, you know, things like that I've certainly had experience doing um, and, and have had you know, experience having to learn uh, for myself. Later in the conversation, Tito shared what he'd like to see change in the world of classical music. I think new music and diversifying programming are both really, really important things. Um, I, I worry that that um, you know some some orchestras do become a little stagnant when it comes to being forward thinking with with the art form itself. Like I think. Uh, a lot of people think symphony orchestra is is the thing, but actually it's the music that we play that's the thing. That's the thing that we present. And it's the music that we play that does have life. Um, everything was once new. Beethoven was once new. And, and, you know, Beethoven, when it was new, had had it. He had his detractors, much like a lot of uh, new new music um, is perceived as nowadays. It's very similar. In fact, I always do a um, whenever I I present the Eroica, Beethoven's Eroica Symphony, I always like to quote a, a review from the time that it was premiered. And, and the review, I'm paraphrasing, but the review essentially says, you know, that this music is is jarring and jagged. And uh, he, you know, he wrote it for his peers, his colleagues, rather than for the audiences. And it's a lot of the same stuff that we hear about new music nowadays. Um, they, they were throwing at Beethoven at the time. So with that, yes, that, that is something that I think really needs artistic leadership in order to, to, to keep moving forward, to, to champion composers, to champion artists. Uh, 
to commission new works, which is something that a lot of orchestras don't really have the financial priorities to do because there's a lot of other things that require, you know, it, orchestras are very expensive. And so um, it's it's having those priorities and making that a, a part of your mission and even diversifying. And that's something that I think has not been on people's radar uh, until very recently. Uh, now that uh, there are a lot of folks that are that are really making it an issue. Um, and we're finding out that it's not actually that difficult to do in that respect. You know, really just, just actually just making a, making it a point to do it and making it a point to keep it on your mind when you do the programming for a season. Um, but I do think for, I, for me, that's something that I'm, I'm trying to promote with my orchestra. I try to promote when I go as a guest conductor to other orchestras. Um, and we're seeing it more and more now, um, that, that the artists are really taking that, that role. But as during that, um, talk uh, at the Sphinx conference, um, you know, a lot of the panelists, including myself, shared a lot of the uh, challenges that we face with that. I mean, there's still um, every orchestra is different, not just the musicians, but even the the, the structure and the support system around it, uh, the environment. Um, and in the end, the, the buck stops at the bucks at where the money comes from. Um, you know, we are beholden to a lot of that because uh, these not-for-profit organizations are very fragile, as almost any performing arts organization can attest to. And so there's a lot of competing uh, ideals, a lot of competing thoughts. Um, but I do think still it, it comes from uh, at least the, the focused vision of the leadership, of especially the artistic leadership. If you come to the table with that in mind, if you come to the table with that as your priority, the needle will move. It may not move as fast as you want it to, but the needle will at least start to move. If, if someone gave you just, you know, a year or more to do just your dream project, what, what's your dream project these days? What, what would be something you'd really love to have the time and resources to do? Oh, that's really, really interesting. Um, I would love to put together uh, um, a festival of music that was curated by a, a group of composers, a group of, group of composers, very diverse group of composers. I would love for to get to, to be in a room, you know, and do a roundtable discussion with a group of composers of, of people that I just very diverse and with sense, completely different sensibilities and to come up with you know, uh, an array of programs doesn't have to be all for orchestra, but just an array of programs that would maybe utilize the venue in different ways or, or involve the audience in an interactive way. But I would love to create something that would, that would be just multidimensional in so many ways. Mm -hmm. um, and that would, and that would just, I think everybody who walks in, even people who are seasoned classical music goers would be utterly, surprised and inspired by um, because I think there's so much amazing music out there that either gets pushed to special things special projects or special concerts and not mainstay concerts you know we talked about one at that at that talk this uh, jo Joel Thompson's seven last words of the unarmed which is the 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 the, the uh, very controversial piece that i think deserves uh listening a regular listening but taking pieces like that and even forgetting the forgetting the idea of putting them into uh, just a regular classical subscription concert but actually finding context for them that really enhances the message but with all of that, actually taking those composers' ideas in my own um, and actually 
using classical works of the canon to give those classical works sort of a different a different spin. So how how would a Beethoven nine feel or sound like after this particular work, or what would this particular new work give to a, a Mozart symphony or a something, um, and and give it a new context and a new perspective? Um, could they utilize the the work in between? Would you would it be something that you could actually do a Mozart symphony, which is four movements long, and have these different pieces in between oh, wow. um, that wow. that give it connection, give it context? I would love to just do that. Just have a have like if we had no no resources and money wasn't an issue, we could all just get together and like come up with this just crazy crazy project of showing audiences what music can really do and what these composers. I think a lot of them, what they meant with their works, you know, when Mozart wrote his symphonies, that was all brand new. We've lost that because we hear it all the time. Um, so how can we bring that back? How can we, what can we do now um, to, to, to put it in that context that brings that, that jarring aspect of some of that music back to audiences that have heard it a million times? He went on to describe what he thinks young people studying classical music today need to understand to be great artists and leaders. Well, it's twofold, I think. One is that um, I was lucky. I I feel very lucky that New York was the place where I happened to be, uh, that I happened to grow up and that I happened to start music. And I I say that because um, there's a lot of the education that I got that wasn't part of a necessarily a cohesive system, maybe just the ecosystem of New York. Um, but, but there was a lot of, I, I kind of call it like, you know, str- on the, you know, street learning, you know, you, you learn, you learn because of your environment. Um, I mean, I certainly had amazing teachers. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, that, that was for sure that, you know, the, the actual in school, quote unquote, in school education was fantastic. But, um, but there was certainly just the, the environment that I was in and the music that I was listening to just all around me. Um, and even just growing up very quickly as a young person in New York, I feel like you grow up much faster than young people in a lot of other places, um, because you're already on the public transit system, you know, in middle school, you're already doing that. And you're on your own doing a lot of a lot of things uh, that that a lot of people wouldn't wouldn't necessarily be doing at, at the age, you know, high school age or uh, that sort of thing. So there's a little bit of that that I think just the environment of New York afforded me um, uh, by default. Um, I think also one thing that is is a, I, I think is lacking in classical music education is the creative aspect of the art. Um, I think we we focus so much, unless you are a composer, unless that's what you focus on and that's what you're going to do, we we focus so much just on the recreation of works and um, the perfection of the technical aspects of what we do. And so there isn't this real um, opportunity to develop create creative skills. There isn't this opportunity to just improvise and just, you know, make make something as opposed to just reading notes on a page. Um, what, what is always fascinating to me is I, I there was um, 
in 2008 or 2009, I was granted a fellowship to spend three weeks in Leipzig, Germany, or actually just in Germany, but two of those weeks were in Leipzig. And it was with a, a conductor by the name of Kurt Mazur, who's now, who's, who's since passed, but he's a, he was a very world famous conductor. He used to be the conductor in, in Leipzig, Germany. He actually used to be the music director of the New York Philharmonic at one point, but he, he, he was one of my mentors and he invited me to come to Leipzig, um, to, uh, for the the 250th anniversary of uh, Felix Mendelssohn, the, the famous composer, and they were celebrating his 250th in Leipzig. He wanted me to come out, and so what he did was he actually set up um, a couple of meetings with archivists of some of the institutions in Germany. And so I actually traveled around the country, um, spending time looking at manuscripts and looking at old documents and things like that. And one of the things in Leipzig that's really interesting in Leipzig, uh, they have the very first music conservatory ever created in Germany. And it's the Felix Mendelssohn Conservatory because Mendelssohn actually uh, founded it. And so I went there and the, he set up a, um, a, a meeting with me there. And the archivist didn't have a lot of manuscripts of Mendelssohn's, like of his music, but she she did have all of the documents from the early days of the conservatory from the opening so she had all the report cards of all the students uh, all of the all of the jury evaluation forms that Mendelssohn actually wrote he wrote all of the student evaluations by hand um, all of the recital programs of all the students um, and the thing that struck me um, right away was that all of the recital programs of the students, they were all playing either music that they wrote themselves or music that their teacher wrote. Um, there was hardly anything that was quote unquote old. If you played Bach, that was an anomaly because that wasn't, that just wasn't what the, the norm was. When you studied music, you studied not only your music, but you studied singing, you studied composition, you did it all. And that was, that was music. We don't do that anymore nowadays. And so I think that that the detriment is that we've, we have a lot of musicians who are good players, but they're not necessarily great artists um, because they don't, they don't have those creative juices that are, that are fostered early on. So that in itself, I think is a big, uh, it's an unfortunate thing that we have now. And I, I, I always try to tell young musicians to, 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 tr to improvise, to try to find creative outlets that are not just, you know, reading music on a page. And that's the only thing that you, you know how to do, because that can be very constricting. Um, and, and it doesn't allow you to really find a voice for yourself. Um, one of the things for me that growing up in New York also is that I actually, when I was freelancing, I was doing quite a bit of different things. I wasn't just playing classical music. I was playing on Broadway. I was playing in, you know, charanga bands. I was playing all sorts of different kinds of things that required a lot of different skill sets, some, some jazz, some Latin music, all sorts of things um, that I think have really enhanced my, my, my view of music. And I think a lot of the more creative classical musicians could say the same thing. They can say that, that they've had this experiences of doing other kinds of music, of improvisation, of composing, of creating music, because all of a sudden then when you're looking at a piece of Mendelssohn, you can kind of get into his head a little bit more and maybe pull something out that other people wouldn't have seen. Wonderful. Well, I just want to finish up by asking if there's any advice that you wish you'd received when you were young or that you'd like to give kind of the next generation of artists. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting, specifically, um, specifically with with my profession. Um, um, there, there's, you know, this this is actually going back to the what the question you were you were asking about education of artists. Um, and on you know, on the one hand, we have just music players, people who play instruments, and then you have conductors um, in the classical music world. And with the conductors, it's interesting because the leadership aspect of con- conducting is something that is not focused on very much um, in education. Meaning when you go to school for conducting, you learn how to analyze a score, you learn how to open up and and, and read it and play it on piano and analyze the chords and all the theory. You learn how to move your arms in a way that, you know, ideally will help the orchestra understand what you're doing, but you don't get any training in really how to, how to be as a, as a human, as a human being. Um, you don't, you know, you, you, it sort of just sort of happens as you go through the motions, but there is no focus on this notion that the conductor is a leader and that there are actual leadership skills that you can learn the way executives learn, you know, executive leadership. That's a real thing. And that doesn't exist for conductors at all. Zero, even though it's exactly the same thing. And so that's an aspect for me that I I think is, is terrible. I mean, terribly unfortunate because um, that also trickles into the, the job search as well, because then when you actually go out and and start auditioning for jobs, uh, applying for jobs, very little is also placed on this idea that the conductor is essentially an executive leader, uh, somebody who is who is supposed to be um, who's supposed to create a a positive work environment, for example, somebody who's supposed to um, have the the wherewithal to be able to diffuse uh, difficult situations, to be able to delegate, to be able to empower people to play their best. You know, it's it's, and that that's something that is never ever focused on. So, um, aside from giving giving advice to uh, young people, or, or actually, you know, as, as far as young conductors, I, I just hope that that's something that people start to take seriously because I think that's really what is is lacking in. In, in my profession, um, but I also I also think that um, uh, young young artists, especially young classical musicians, like I said before, I think would really benefit from spending some time creating in some way or another, creating and expanding horizons in what they play, like actually going to shows of other kinds of music at least. Um, but if not, then actually writing music or or improvising or something where you're actually creating some kind of music, I think is is w- will only benefit um, the work that you do as a recreator of a lot of the older music and the new music that we play. You know, Rob, one thing that really stuck out for me in this interview and <laughs> is proof if anything that I should never be a conductor is that uh, it's one of the only fields I can think of where you are forced to be a leader before you have any idea how to be a leader. You're really thrown into the deep end of the pool standing in front of an orchestra as you're learning how to do the job. Yeah, he talks about it like a catch-22, right? You don't have the experience, but you need people with experience to be able to do it. Uh, yeah, I thought that was very fascinating. And in, in the arts, it's hard to get that experience any other way, uh, specifically for conductors. Um, makes me think that one of the best methods you can start doing early, I think this can be for any of us, um, certainly for conductors, but translates for all of us, is, is to just simply watch how others who are doing it, you know, what they do. 
and take ideas that work uh, and borrow them and make them part of your own. And when you see bad things happen or bad behaviors, that's a good reminder to know what not to do. Right. And you also hope that leadership is changing. I think he'd agree with me that in the classical music world, leadership has largely been older white men. So right. I love that there's a young Latino guy uh, at a major U.S. symphony with a lot of international exposure now. Um, and I love that he's going to mentor and teach a new, whole new range of conductors. Yeah, he's really pushing for change, trying to make differences that are innovative in the classical world, uh, more sort of interdisciplinary and exper- experimental so that it, it continues to grow. And I also get the sense that he uh, he understands there's limitations. You know, he talked about financial stability. You know, everybody knows the importance of that. So there's this kind of balance between what you push for and then doing it within the context that's possible. And I thought that was a very savvy way of considering how to lead. Yeah. And I bet, although our, our, the interview didn't go there, I bet he's also trying to cultivate a board of directors that really understands that in order to survive in this 21st century, um, they can't just be going back to Bach and Mozart. Right. And I'm, I'm, I bet his board of directors is more representative of the diversity of Phoenix than it might have been 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, you get a sense that classical music might really thrive in the 21st century thanks to visionaries like him. Indeed. If you'd like to read a longer version of this interview, please visit uncsa.edu slash artists as leader. Also, please be sure to leave us your thoughts on our Facebook page at Keenan Institute for the Arts. We'd love to hear your suggestions of artist leaders we should feature. The theme music is by The Dimes. I'm Rob Kramer. And I'm Piercarlo Talenti. Thanks for listening.